Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Kia ora and hello. I've been asked to tell you about No Labels, the radio show for, by, and about people living with disabilities. The show offers interviews and news about the disability sector in Aotearoa, New Zealand. On Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. Find us on Facebook or go to www.accessradio.org.nz. No labels, our voice for you on Access Radio. Hello and welcome to No Labels. I'm Mike Gawley. Today, we're at the Disability Day program in Varo and the results of the Disability Rights Omicron Inquiry. Go through Rebel Sports in Manor Street, up one level, and you're at the site of Evaro's Day Services for Disabled People. Marty Street is one of the program staff member. I'm the service manager at Evaro, which is a uh, day service, uh, community participation service uh, funded by the Ministry of Social Development. So when you say day service, what does that mean, Marty? So we just run during the day. So we specifically only operate between the hours of nine and three. We can operate outside those hours if families need some extra stuff done, uh, but generally during that time. You talked about community participation. What examples would you have of where people here are participating in the community? So that could be uh, as simple as someone, say, wanting to go and visit a cafe. Um, and so when we do our community outings, we try and make it a learning experience. So, say, the simple act of going and ordering a cup of coffee for someone uh, could be a learning experience in how to communicate with another person clearly, uh, money handling skills, uh, and, you know, how, how people behave when they're out in public. Why would ordering a cup of coffee be such a big deal, though, Marty? It seems quite an ordinary thing to do. It does seem it seems very trivial to us because that's something we we experience every day and something we do every day. Uh, a lot of the people we work with haven't had those sort of opportunities, especially school leavers. It's not something that you do at school is go to the cafe and order a coffee or sit down or work out how the sugar machine works or anything like that. So basically, what we're doing is uh, life skills work with people. So it's a new experience for them. One of the biggest things we find that we actually do is almost training the public in how to deal with people with disabilities. Um, so allowing them to have uh, dignity and respect because obviously as someone with a disability, they have a disability, but that's it. Apart from that, they're just another person in the community. What kind of impairments would people have that maybe make community participation so much more difficult? Uh, so that may not non-verbal. Uh, people may not speak, so they may use uh, communication cards. So say the cafe example, again, they may have a picture of a flat white with the word written under it. Um, another one that may have a picture of a flat white in a takeaway cup if they wanted to order a takeaway. Um, as well as that, there's people who uh, have particular sensory needs, so someone who's autistic. Um, they may need to find somewhere that is a quieter environment to have a cup of coffee, so somewhere with less foot traffic, less noise, so they can actually be able to focus and, and do what they need to. I noticed as I came through, there was a room where people seemed to be lying about. Is that a multi-sensory room or something like that? Or a time-out room or something that gave people an opportunity just to go and relax, chill yep. out? 
you know, yeah. from the stresses and things like that. Is that yeah. something you do here? We, we do have a, yeah, we do have a chill-out room, sensory room uh, for people because particularly when you're talking about people that have um, a sensory component to their disability, uh, noise, light, uh, even going as far as the amount of words on a, a piece of a newspaper can cause them to, to feel a quite overloaded and they do need somewhere that's nice, quiet, calm, so they can go and work through what they need to work through, refocus themselves, and then come back to participate in an activity. And what are the aspirations of people coming to here? What do they want to get out of it? it a, a variety. Um, most people want to have fun. I think that's the, the, the bottom line. Um, they want to have fun and they want to enjoy themselves. Uh, for some people, it's employment. They may want to work towards employment. Um, and I think for a lot of the families, it's just that they have the ability to be able to experience different things that ordinarily they wouldn't be able to. My name is Tim Conanin. I come here to do art mostly. Um, I'm here until I get a placement sorted for being a teacher. So, yeah. And where would that likely to be, Tim? Um, so... I've been looking at two schools, one in Mount Cook and one at um, Beringham or Barrenport, whatever you call it, yeah. Yes, um, Barrenport, that's right, too. Yeah, Barrenport. So um, they've called back and I've got a meeting with them on Wednesday. So, yeah, sounds promising. And what made you interested in being a teacher, eh, Tim? I just love working with kids. I've um, worked with um, the elderly found them quite challenging um, and just found that kids are more active like doing stuff and that's kind of fits in with what I, I like doing so, yeah. Okay, would you be able to give me a bit of a tour around the place Tim? Absolutely Thank you You're just saying what's going on in various places here Yep too sure of many of their names but um, I think that's Tim another Tim, another Tim. Um, right, he's just chilling out Tim. at the moment yes over here we're playing Uno right. um, similar to playing last card but um, using just different um Colours, but very similar. And what looks like we've got architecture going on over here. Um, so here we have, I think his name's Matthew, and he's been working 
on it looks like a house made from cardboard and bits of papers. Yep. And on the opposite side, we have Maria, who I think's just writing a story or something like that. Yeah. I think I saw a kitchen here, Tim. Kitchen, uh, yes. We have a kitchen right so behind you here. Um, yes. Make cakes and things. Um, muffins. I don't think we've been doing much baking at the moment um, due to COVID and all that sort of stuff. And um, so this is basically just where the clients prepare their lunch. And obviously, we've got a jug for coffees and stuff. The big beast of a machine there is strictly for staff use only. Oh, I see. Um, right. Yeah. Distinction then, eh? Between yes. staff and people who come here. Correct. Um, so, yeah. And then we've got um, the Murray um, names for everything dotted around in the kitchen. Um, so you're doing yeah. material, are you? Yes, correct. Oh, good, good. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay, lead on, Tim. Lead on. Um, hello, Ethan. We're recording, is that Ethan? Yep. Okay. Alright. Um, so. I see we've got some flags up here. Flags? Right beside a lovely big pot of flowers. Yes. That is, I think, the. Oh, yes, that's a Murray flag. Oh, the Tinaranga Teratanga, huh? Yes. Good. We've got that. Is that for Matariki by any chance? Um, I think that's just always been there. I haven't actually noticed it before, but we have the, the stars there for Matariki. Um, yeah. Since Matariki's coming up. Well, tomorrow to be exact. Yes, mm. yes, yep. correct. Okay, let's go on. Um, we can go next. We have the big room just in here. Right, okay. We can go in there. Um, here we have kind of like a chill out room with. Um, well, it's basically a century room where they can just slack out if they're feeling a bit tired or they just want to get away from all the noise. They can come in here. Um, yeah, just a, just a chill-out space, basically. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Tim. You're welcome. And that's where we'll leave Tim of Ivaro for the time being. And with him, you heard Marty Streeter. The impact of Omicron on the disability community was such that Disability Rights Commissioner Paula de Serrero felt duty-bound to launch an official inquiry. Well, Mike, I was hearing a lot of concerns from within the disability community about a range of issues relating to the, particularly the Omicron outbreak. And I wanted to gather evidence and information about this 
and raise the issues with government with the intention of making a series of recommendations to put to government and hope that they would be addressed in the present time uh, to respond to the needs of disabled people but also to help set the way for the future. So what kind of concerns were you hearing Paula? Well initially I was hearing a range of things around access to vaccines, uh, access to medical care, uh, access to COVID testing, uh, support workers not being available and, and a range of issues and I launched the inquiry under the powers I have under the Human Rights Act to really have a closer look at the issues. So what I did was contact 30 organisations, networks, uh, leaders of networks in the community and gathered information uh, and you know, really found some very interesting and concerning uh, information in the, in the inquiry. So you say access was a major issue. What kind of things were happening to prevent access? So we heard a range of issues around uh, access. And first of all, it started with some of the communication barriers um, to even get access. So firstly, people talked about the fact that it was hard to find information. It changed quickly. You had to go to several places to find information. It was not always in alternate formats. Phone lines didn't work for everyone. And there was a very heavy reliance on digital information. So that access to information and communication was an initial barrier. We also found that it was really hard for many disabled people to get access or to afford things to help people keep safe. So things like masks uh, or finding accessible vaccination sites. People also talked about the fact that it was difficult to isolate safely and get the support that people needed. So messages said to prepare, but many disabled people, as you know, uh, can't afford to stock up on food or medication in advance. Online deliveries don't work for everyone. So those were some of the issues. And then, of course, one of the big issues that I was deeply concerned about was the disruption to disability support services. So a lot of people were worried about how they would get their support services, uh, what would happen if the support worker was unwell or if the disabled person was unwell and there wasn't at that stage a good backup plan for those things. The other big issue we found was it was difficult in the case of uh, many disabled people to access their usual health services and finally there were a set of issues relating to access to education and hybrid learning for people and the ongoing learning support and teacher aid uh, supports. So there were a lot of issues in there that we found, Mike, that we really wanted to put in place a set of recommendations for government to address. You say you did it under the powers that you have as Disability Rights Commissioner, but what powers do you have when you get the recommendation to make them actually stick? So the the power under the Human Rights Act is, uh, in, in terms of inquiries, is to undertake an inquiry. I can go through a process to 
get evidence uh, given to me if I need that. In terms of making the recommendations stick, you know, primarily it is an advocacy role and so it's about really trying to garner the support of government to adopt those recommendations and you know certainly in this case it has been pleasing to see that government have taken the recommendations seriously have taken the inquiry seriously and have um, addressed a number of the recommendations and have an ongoing work program to address them. What's involved in a process of actually conducting an inquiry I mean what do you have to do? An inquiry really can be a very short, urgent, fast inquiry, which is what this was, or it can be one that might last a year or two. And I think that really depends on the nature of what it is you're looking at and the the context in which you're operating around other things happening. In this case, given we were right in the thick of the Omicron outbreak, I felt that it was important to while doing it thoroughly, to also do it really quickly. And for that reason, I didn't go to individuals, which if I'd had a longer period of time, you know, that would have been ideal. But I primarily went through networks and organisations to get the input. And what did you have to do to make sure your inquiry was accessible to everybody? Because that would be quite a challenge too, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And so for that reason, uh, as well as some of the other ethical considerations, that was part of the reason why uh, we launched the inquiry and actually wrote to organisations and networks specifically seeking feedback. In an ideal world with more time, I would have made it a much more public inquiry and had people being able to just feed information in. But we didn't have the time and we didn't really have the infrastructure to appropriately support that. So I went for the fast, urgent uh, inquiry. Right, go hard and go early, eh? Absolutely. (laughs) So the findings that you've talked about are pretty much the same sort of thing as the concerns were, aren't they, really? So you weren't surprised by the response, I guess, or the conclusions? No, I wasn't surprised, but I think the way in which we did the inquiry and the support that it had within the community did give it some gravitas and I think that you know that helped really putting it into one place for government and you know it it couldn't be ignored when you've pulled that information together presented it to government in a coherent way uh, I think was um you know, a really, a really good thing to do in the circumstances um, rather than, you know, government agencies just sort of hearing anecdote. So you were saying that um, you found a good response from government. So how is this going to feed into the access legislation that's coming up pretty shortly? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I... The short answer is I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I guess we get to see the draft bill and I would certainly encourage the disability community to be submitting on that legislation. And, you know, some of these access barriers that we saw through COVID, um, you know, I hope are highlighted through that select committee process uh, as examples of where disabled people, you know, face continual barriers and you know as as has been said a thousand times before including by me 
you know, COVID really exacerbated issues for disabled people. And, you know, it, it really is important that we don't just look at this as being, you know, reflective of COVID only, but that we do really, in a systemic way, address those underlying issues for disabled people. And also, how do you think it's going to feed into the new ministry, which comes into being on Friday? Yeah, well, I think given that the new ministry will be responsible for disability support services, it will feed into, I think, future planning around those services, uh, any considerations around rolling out and enabling good lives around the country. But I also think it's important that, you know, we all remember that the new ministry is not actually responsible for everything disability related across government. You know, other agencies like Health, the new Māori, uh, Health NZ, the new Māori Health Authority, um, Education, Housing, MB, all the other agencies maintain their responsibilities towards disabled people. And so I think it will be about the new ministry stewarding across government and working with those agencies. And how are you working with it yourself as a Disability Rights Commissioner? Yeah, well, I think there's no shortage of advocacy needed for um, our community. And, you know, a lot of my role at the moment is around providing a disability perspective on things. And I think largely that's come about in the absence of having, uh, you know, a, a perhaps a better resourced Office of Disability Issues who carry a large... Uh, share at the moment of work around commenting on cabinet papers and things um, and also you know I, I do a fair bit of that so I think some of that will change and the Disability Rights Commissioner role will focus more on the bread and butter of human rights um, sort of holding to account um, obviously supporting the new ministry but also the ministry can't review itself and hold itself to account. So, you know, this role will have uh, an interesting role to play in that respect, I think. Paula, thanks so much. Kia ora. Thanks, Mike. That's Disability Rights Commissioner Paula Tesserero wrapping up today's episode of No Labels. Until next time, I'm Mike Gordy, looking forward to your company then. Ka anō. That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.